Before I, I begin to uh, share the Word of God, I'd like to uh, wish all the mothers in the room a uh, happy Mother's Day. I know in Indonesia it's not uh, Mother's Day, I think it's the 22nd of December, uh, but I, I looked on Wikipedia last night and there's more countries celebrating Mother's Day around the world today than any other uh, country. So. Happy. And uh, we can, uh, if you are a mother, um, thank you for what you do for your children. And uh, for all of us that are children, as we all are, <laughs> we can uh, remember and be thankful for the mothers that God has given to us. So if, if your mother's not around, I hope to call her today. So um, actually, it's, it's fairly appropriate that we're talking about uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning because uh, we're going to be looking at the events that occurred in the life of probably the most famous mother in the Bible, which was uh, uh, the Virgin Mary, and how God came to her and told her and announced that she was going to give birth to the, to the Messiah. Let's uh, open up with a word of prayer. Father, I pray as we study your word this morning, you'd enlighten our hearts and enlighten our, our minds that we might be receptive to um, what you'd like to have us learn from this passage, that we might uh, make changes perhaps even in the way we live our life as we look at how Joseph and Mary uh, reacted to the news that they were given. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. This morning we'll be looking, as I mentioned, at Matthew 1. This is the third... um, sermon in the series going through the book of Matthew. Um, Matthew is a book that we'll probably be going through over the next year and a half. And we're not trying to rush through it. Uh, We're going through it to try to make sure that we understand it. Um, Matthew, for those that weren't aware uh, of it before, Matthew is one of the 12 disciples. Um, His background was as a tax collector. And uh, he uh, wrote this book targeting the a Jewish audience. So there are many references in the book of Matthew to the Old Testament so that the Jewish people would understand the connection between Jesus and what was mentioned in the Old Testament. As you may be aware, the Jewish people um, were anticipating the Messiah. The Messiah would come. Uh, the Messiah was to be the king of the Jews. He was to be king over the kingdom. He was to be the son of David. He was a descendant to be a descendant of David. He was to be the son of God. He was to be the son of man. It was probably quite confusing uh, for Jewish people who the Messiah would be, but they were anxiously waiting for him, in large part because they wanted to have him come and throw off the Roman uh, Empire. And this was uh, over, the, the Jewish nation at this time was overseen by the, the Romans. Now, we also have a story about the announcement of Jesus' birth in the book of Luke. And uh, what's, what's interesting is if you look at the book of Matthew where um, the angels come and uh, announce the birth of Jesus, the angel appears to Joseph. In the book of Luke, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. And in fact, I was uh, noticing this last week that the, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, which was also written by Luke, um, often focuses on uh, women. 
it mentions in the book of Acts many prominent women that were coming to the faith. And uh, this is kind of an interesting note that I had um, when I was going through. But in this case, we have the book of Matthew focusing on the angel appearing to, um, to Joseph. What we're going to do is we're going to read through the passage, and then we'll uh, go verse by verse and understand a little bit more in depth what the author is saying. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived is in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now, the first thing, as we look at the the first verse, verse 18, you notice it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. It's referring to the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, Christ, um, as I was surprised to discover when I was a child, is not the family name of Jesus. Um, It's a title. It's uh, referred to in another way, in the, the uh, Hebrew terms, it is translated Messiah. So some versions of the New Testament would translate it Jesus the Messiah, some would translate it Jesus Christ. But it's emphasizing not only the birth of Jesus, it's emphasizing the birth of the Messiah, the one that the Jewish people have been waiting for. And just to reemphasize this, if you look at verse 16 and you look at verse 17, he mentions it again and again. There's a genealogy that um, Matthew goes through from Abraham all the way to Jesus. And when he gets to Jesus, he says, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. That is his title. He was the one that was supposed to be the king of the kingdom that the Jewish people were waiting for. And again, in verse 17, he summarizes and he says, all the generations from Abraham to the Christ. He's highlighting that this is the one We've been waiting for all this time. He's the Messiah. Now, before we look at the passage, I think it's important to have an understanding of the Jewish marriage customs at that time. Um, I used to read it without understanding, and we look at it from a Western context, and it's very confusing because it says that they were betrothed or engaged to each other, but then it says they were calling each other husband and wife, and it says they got a divorce, but... You know, it's, it's all very confusing to me. And um, this is, I was contrasting the Western marriage customs um, with some customs back in Jesus' time. 
First of all, these are the marriage customs that I grew up with. I, I'm now over 60, um, and uh, over 60 years ago, um, these were the ideal marriage customs. It was not biblically mandated this way, but this, this is what we used to do in the United States, which is where I'm from. This didn't happen all the time, but this was kind of the ideal scenario. Usually, a young man would ask a woman out on a date. Um, if he was interested in somebody, if he was attracted to somebody, he would ask her out. Maybe they'd have dinner together or something. And then the young man um, would choose a young lady at the time he decided to get married. He would choose one of the, the ladies that he had dated and ask her to marry him, usually with a ring. And then there was an, they're engaged at that point. They would put an engagement ring on. And then during the engagement period, they would plan the wedding and maybe uh, get pre-marriage counseling, perhaps. That would be the case in our church. And then the couple would then get married. After the marriage, they would go on their honeymoon. And on their honeymoon would be the first time that they would actually sleep together. They would not have slept together, in theory at least, before the wedding night, before the honeymoon. Nowadays, in America, things have changed a lot in 60 years, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, now it seems like what happens is a young man will ask a, a young woman out on a date, and then almost immediately they start sleeping together. You know, it's not unusual for somebody to go on a first date and then they're sleeping together, or maybe on a second date or third date. Then, if they enjoy spending time together, then they end up living together. And then, finally, maybe they decide, well, we're living together, maybe we should get married and have kids. That seems to be more and more common in the U.S. People say, what's the point of, of, uh, of marriage? This happened, I think, 10 days ago or so. This is uh, Jacinda Ardern, I guess is how you pronounce her name. She's the Prime Minister of New Zealand. She just announced 10 days ago or so that she's getting engaged to the guy that she's been living with, to the guy who's the husband of her child. <laughs> so to me, this just shows how far we've come from the traditional Western customs, at least. And I think if you're growing up in today's society, when you read the story that we're reading, you would probably be really confused about the series of events that happened with Mary and Joseph. So what I've decided to do is I've decided to try to take us back in time. But actually, we're not going back 2,000 years ago. We're just going to a different culture. We're going to a culture that I think is very similar to what was true in New Testament times, in Jesus' time. And that culture is Afghanistan. We have a, an Afghan uh, couple, uh, Ollie and Bibi Tahera. They are right now in the Farsi service next door. They're part of our congregation. Um, they are going to talk about Afghan marriage customs, which I think are very similar to what we find in Bible times. And what was interesting is I, I also was talking to Geze, who's from Ethiopia, and he was saying that when he watched this, he said, this is like what we do in Ethiopia. And then after the first service, there was a Chinese-Indonesian guy. He said, this is what we used to do, what my mother said that we used to practice in Indonesia too, many years ago. 
So I think this will be uh, uh, beneficial. Now let me uh, just explain first, and then you can watch the video. But what happens in Afghanistan is a young man's parents will ask a young woman's parents if their son can marry their daughter. It may be that the daughter, the boy and the girl have never even met each other. So the parents will, uh, of the boy will take the initiative, will go to the parents of the girl's house and ask for their daughter's hand in marriage to their son. The parents will discuss various issues, including how much the, parents, the, the boy's parents will pay for the girl. There will be a dowry. Um, and the higher value of the woman, the more beautiful she is, the more educated she is, the more money you pay. Um, I, I remember I have a, a youngest brother who's living in Sacramento, California. And uh, about a year and a half ago, I was back for the New Year's uh, holiday. And I was visiting with my brother, and my parents were there as well. And we invited this Afghan couple who used to live in Jakarta that were now living in the Sacramento area to join us for uh, dinner. And so my mother was talking to this Afghan girl. And she was talking to my mom, and she says, Do you know how much my husband paid for me? <laughs> she, and my mom was horrified. <laughs> it was like buying and selling a cow or something, you know. Uh, but, but that's the way it was done, also probably in Jesus' time. If, if both parents would agree that their son and their daughter should get married to each other, the engagement would become official through a religious ceremony. So it's, it's a much more formal thing than in Western culture. And then during the engagement, the bride and the groom will only have limited public time together. Very limited, if, if any. And they are called a husband and wife. They never would have slept together. They would be engaged. But there might be a year-long period where you would, they would prepare the uh, wedding ceremony. And part of that is to give the, parent, the, the boy's parents time to pay for the dowry. So they may pay in installments during that year-long period or two-year period. And also, usually, the uh, boy will prepare a place near his father's house for the bride to go after the marriage. So it gives him time to prepare a house as well. The engagement, and it's much more really than the engagement in Western culture, can only be broken through a divorce. It has to be an official divorce because the engagement was official. The break-off of the engagement has to be official as well. And even in that case, there may be part of the dowry that has to be paid because if the engagement is broken off, people in the community may think that there's something wrong with the girl. And in that case, um, they will not, um, she will have trouble getting married to somebody else. After the wedding is celebrated, the bride and the groom may go to the groom's family home and sleep together for the first time. Okay? What's interesting, I just found out this a few years ago, because um, this happens in Afghanistan and Iran. On the marriage bed, they will take a white cloth and put it under the, under the woman. And when they, have, they consummate the marriage... There will be blood coming from the broken hymen onto the white cloth. Okay? That is proof of the woman's virginity. And what will happen 
is they will take this white cloth and hand it to the parents of the bride and the groom, and then the um, bride and grooms, uh, the women in those families, will have a celebration the day after the wedding celebrating their daughter's virginity. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch the video. Now that I've explained it, you'll understand fully what uh, Ollie and his wife are about to say. If the, the girl wasn't a virgin, it's very, very shameful. Uh, some of the uh, girl's family killed that girl. My name is Ali, and she's my wife, Terry. And he's my son, Meraj. She's <laughs> five years old. And he's Ryan. He's two years old. If the boy from Afghanistan wants to get married with some girl, he should talk with his parents. His parents go to girl's house and talk with her parents, talk about everything, about maybe about money, about, about date of ceremony. After that, if they are agree, then they can get a ceremony like engagement ceremony the boy and girl uh, meet each other the first time on that ceremony before that they cannot it's not allowed for them after the engagement party if the boy uh, doesn't want to this marriage he should go to his parents and he should go to mullah and talk about uh, why i don't want to get married with uh, this girl. Maybe she's not good girl, she's uh, not beautiful, maybe she's not virgin. If the boy wants to cut this relationship, he should go to Mullah and Mullah read something. The boy uh, always should pay for divorce. The name of this money we called in uh, our culture Mahriya. virginity of the girl is very very important and uh, the night of uh, wedding party when they sleep together the girls family and boys family are waiting waiting for them to to know about uh, that night uh, is the girl uh, virgin or no the girl and uh, boy use the uh, white uh, cross some some of them wait uh, until morning and show that uh, white cloth to their family and some of them cannot wait and uh, stay outside of the door to take that uh, <laughs> cloth and uh, see the proof of the virginity of uh, the girl. Uh, usually the, the girl's mother uh, take that uh, cloth and uh, show it to boy's mother and boy's mother keep it until tomorrow and tomorrow they make a party for just for a lady and they come and uh, they show that uh, white cross and as a proof, uh, a daughter is a virgin. If the, the girl wasn't a virgin and also maybe she be pregnant before wedding party from the, not from the, her husband, from maybe another people, it's very, very shameful. Uh, I heard uh, some of uh, girl's family killed that girl but uh, some of them just keep it, and but uh, she will not have a good future on uh, her parents' house. I, I hope that was uh, interesting <laughs> to you. 
Um, just to, to go off uh, script a little bit, there are a couple references in the New Testament to these wedding customs. One is it talks about uh, uh, the church being the bride of Christ, Christ being the, the groom. And you may, may remember that Jesus said he's going to go away and prepare a place for us. And in that sense, the church is engaged to Jesus. And he's going to come back and we'll consummate the marriage together with him in heaven at the wedding banquet. That's one of the references to this custom where he's preparing a place for us. Um, secondly, another, um, just another um, uh, use of this illustration is there was a story in, in the book of John where John is discipling people. John and his disciples are, are, are baptizing people, rather. And, of course, one of those people that he baptizes is Jesus. And then Jesus and his disciples start, start uh, baptizing people. And what happens is the disciples of John get a little bit jealous of Jesus and his disciples, and they say, hey, Hey, John, you know, Jesus is, is competing with us. Um, I think they expect that John will get upset. And John the Baptist says, no. He says, I'm like the, the um, groomsman who stands outside the door. When I hear the groom's voice, I'm happy. That is referring to the groom's friend standing outside the bedroom <laughs> on the wedding night. And as soon as the groom yells out, yes, she's a virgin. <laughs> the groom's friend is happy. That's the way that John the Baptist felt about Jesus. He didn't view him as a competitor. He viewed him, he was happy for him. Anyway, that's off script, sorry. Now, as we, we go through and continue on with, with uh, verse 18, it talks about when his mother Mary had been betrothed, to Joseph, betrothed, we don't use often today, but it also just means engaged. But it's more than the engagement in the Western sense, as you saw. Once you're engaged in this time, as in Afghanistan, you're actually considered husband and wife. You cannot sleep together, but you're considered husband and wife, and the only way you can break off the engagement is through a divorce. And what's, what's also interesting is I had never really thought about this before, but I just figured Joseph went over to Mary's house, started dating her, and then asked her, out, asked her to marry him. But if they were engaged together, what would have happened is Joseph's parents would have gone to the parents of Mary and asked if Mary would be willing to marry, or they would be willing to give their daughter Mary to Jesus. I mean, to, uh, to uh, Joseph, rather. So it wasn't a, a Mary and Joseph thing. It would have been the parents of Joseph and the parents of Mary agreeing that the uh, two kids would marry each other. And then it says, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. When it says, um, before they came together, that's uh, a nice uh, way of saying that they hadn't uh, slept together yet. What's interesting in the book of Luke um, it talks about what happened when, after Mary was told by the angel Gabriel that she was going to be pregnant with a, a child from the Holy Spirit. It says, In those days Mary arose and went to haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. 
And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. What we see here is that it was going to become obvious fairly soon after Mary got the news that she was pregnant. I've got to believe in this culture, as we just saw, she would have realized this is going to cause me a lot of embarrassment. She was happy to be chosen to be the receptacle for God's son. But at the same time, the community around her probably wouldn't have understood her. And she would have faced a lot of shame from other people. So what we read here in the book of Luke is it says as soon as she found this out, she, the angel came to her and said, by the way, your, your cousin Elizabeth is going to have a child. Your cousin Elizabeth, who was barren, hasn't been able to have a child, is pregnant now. And she's going to give birth. And by the way, you, Mary, yourself are going to give birth, even though you're a virgin. And it says immediately she took off. <laughs> I'm not sure whether she went and took off because of the fact that she was excited for her cousin and wanted to spend time with her cousin. But another possible reason, she was afraid of the shame that she would be faced with when people found out and saw that she was going to be giving birth, that she was pregnant. But she finally came back after three months, after Elizabeth gave birth to her child. We read that she came back. And maybe it was at that point that it became obvious to the community and obvious to Joseph that she was pregnant. It says, when others found out that Mary was pregnant, others would have understandably assumed she was no longer a virgin. She would have been, already been shamed in the eyes of Joseph and Joseph's parents. And in the eyes of the uh, community and, and her parents, Can you imagine the shame she felt? She didn't do anything wrong. But think of the shame that she faced from everybody around her. That must have been tough, very tough, when people think you did something wrong even though you didn't. And then it says, and her husband, Joseph, they hadn't consummated the marriage, but as we read in Afghanistan, she still uh, considers Joseph. He's still referred to as her husband. And her husband, Joseph, being a just and unwilling man, um, he was unwilling to put her uh, to shame. And he resolved to divorce her. Now, she was already shamed in the eyes of the community, but it would have just been more shame for her to have a public event um, where uh, he, she was uh, acknowledged publicly that she was pregnant and, and there was going to be a divorce. So he wanted to divorce her but do it very quietly, very secretly. But just as he was considering getting a divorce, it says, an angel appeared to him. It says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's not from another man. She didn't have an affair with anybody else. It's the child she's having is from the Holy Spirit. And what's, what's interesting is he doesn't, the angel just doesn't say Joseph. He says, Joseph, son of David. 
And that's a reference to the fact that he was a descendant of David. And the Messiah was to be a descendant of David. He was to be a son of David. And he was entitled to sit on the throne. In the book of Matthew, we have that genealogy. And the genealogy is showing who is entitled to sit on the throne of, of the Jews. And Joseph was a son of David. That meant that the adopted son of Joseph would also be entitled to sit on the throne. And in Luke, we read a little bit more about that throne. It says, uh, this is where the angel Gabriel is talking to Mary. And he says, and the Lord God will give to him, that's referring to Jesus, the throne of his father David. And he will reign forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. What the Jewish people have been looking for, which was the Messiah who was going to sit on the throne, on the kingdom, in charge of the kingdom of of Israel, this was Jesus. And it was made clear to Mary, it was made clear to Joseph, and to the readers of the book of Matthew. He says, She will bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, this, we're reading from an English translation. The, book of, the, the New Testament books are written in Greek. Okay? So the name of Jesus in Greek, in the original language in which we read, is Isus, Isus, um, not Jesus. Jesus is just the English translation of Jesus' name, Isus. And Isus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Yeshua which in the Old Testament we translate as Joshua. And that word means the Lord saves. So this is what Mary is told to by the angel Gabriel. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which meant the Lord saves. The fact is, the Jewish people would have seen a connection between Joshua in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament because they would have been referring to the same name. In English, we don't see that connection. But just like Joshua led the people into the promised land, Jesus was, the, was also Joshua. He was leading people into the promised land in a spiritual sense. They would have also seen that connection with the Old Testament. Just like I said, the name Jesus in English is the English translation of the common Greek name, Jesus. In Hebrew, the name is Yeshua, which is translated as Joshua in English in the Old Testament. Yeshua means the Lord saves. So Mary and and Joseph were beginning to get an idea now of what the Messiah was going to do. He was going to save his people from their sins. Not save them from the Roman Empire. He was going to save them, but of something different than they expected. He was going to save them from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The prophet that the Matthew, that the, uh, Matthew is, is referring to is the prophet Isaiah. And this particular passage is referred to here. Let me just have you have us read it together. It said, God asked the prophet Isaiah to tell King Ahaz of Judah 
not to fear that Syria and Israel would conquer Judah. Israel and Judah were like brother countries. They had split at that point in time. And what the king of Judah, which was a lower kingdom, southern kingdom, had found out was that Judah, I mean, uh, Israel and Syria had gotten together and that they were going to attack Judah. So what happened is the king of Judah panicked. And he thought, I need, I need somebody to help me. And unfortunately, he wasn't thinking of God helping him. What he did is he started taking matters into his own hands. He looked around and he found the king of Assyria, Assyria, not Syria, the king of Assyria, he took all the gold and the silver from the temple and gave it to the king of Assyria and said, help me attack, help me defend myself against Syria and Israel. And what happened is, in the middle of this, Isaiah came to him and said, look, don't trust men. I, I God, will protect you. And I'm going to give you a sign that I'm going to protect you. There's going to be a, a virgin who's going to give birth. And it seems like that happened, apparently, in the Old Testament as well. And it was God's way of giving a sign to the Jewish people, and to King Ahaz in particular, that he was going to protect them. It was something miraculous that was happening as a sign of God's protection and the fact that King Ahaz didn't need to take matters into his own hand. He didn't need to panic. And in referring to this, there's a, there's a sense where that is fulfilled. We see that happening once again in the New Testament, where the Jewish people are looking for someone looking for God to come and save them from their, their sins. And in this sense, he sent Jesus to save them from their sins. He gave a sign, and that sign was the Virgin Mary was going to give birth to a son. And it was a sign that God was with him, just as he had been with King Ahaz, even though King Ahaz hadn't recognized it. It says, when Jesus woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he did two things, you'll notice. It says he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth. And the second thing that he did was he called his name Jesus. Both Mary and Joseph had been asked to name their son Jesus, and there was a particular reason, because that name would remind people that the Lord saves. And that's exactly what Jesus was sent to do, is to save people from their sins. Now you'll notice it says, He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. They didn't have sex together until Jesus was born. But the implication is, after Jesus was born, they did have a regular husband and wife relationship. And we can see this because we can see that there's references to Jesus' brothers and his sisters. In, in the book of, of uh, Matthew, uh, people are talking about who Jesus is. And it says, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? So we know that Jesus was one of at least seven children. He was the first. They all had a common mother. But obviously, in Jesus' case, it was a different father. 
James, by the way, became a pillar in the early church. And after James, who was one of the uh, 12 apostles, died, it mentions him as a, a pillar of the ter- church together with uh, Peter and, uh, and John. And also he uh, apparently wrote, James wrote the book of James in our New Testament. Another one of Jesus' brothers, uh, Judas, he wrote, we believe, what is now another book in our New Testament, which is the book of Jude. So I think sometimes in some, some church circles they teach that Jesus was an only child and Mary was, was a virgin continuously. But I think from this passage it seems to be that Jesus did have brothers and sisters. Now, maybe it's an interesting story, if you follow what I've said, but the question, of course, is how, how does it apply today? Um, it's not easy to get the application from this passage, as you can probably imagine. Um, I, I did a little bit of uh, uh, thinking about this, but I came up with two possible applications I thought might be good for me just to, to mention. One is, God may ask us to obey him by doing things which are shameful in the eyes of others. Mary was asked by God to do something. She obeyed God. She didn't do anything wrong, but she was shamed in the eyes of the community around her. There may be things that God has called us to do, which people uh, mock us for, which people um, try to shame us. They, they try to make us ashamed of what we've done. I... I We'll, uh, later, actually, all of us will hear a presentation by uh, the people working in Bantar Gabang. Uh, Pak Yusuf from our congregation and his wife are doing ministry in the garbage dump to people. Yusuf is a well-educated guy. He's got his uh, master's degree from seminary. And I think a lot of people try to shame him for, what are you doing working in a garbage dump? But what he's doing is he's fulfilling God's calling in his life in spite of the shame. It's not something that he can go around, hey, I work in a garbage dump. <laughs> it's something that, that I would probably be ashamed to mention to people. But he's obeying God. And God may ask us to do something where other people don't understand. Other people think we're stupid or we're wasting our time or why are you hanging around such people? They're no good. Those people are no good. Just as in, in Matthew, we read that what people thought of Jesus. It says, And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reaching or reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, What is your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus faced that kind of thing. He was obeying what God his Father wanted him to do, yet he was being shamed by people around him. And Perhaps you can think of something that maybe you feel like God's calling you to do. But maybe you're thinking, well, if I do that, I'm gonna, it's going to be a shameful thing to do in the eyes of people around me. I hope you don't think that way. I hope you can get over it and say, it's more important to do what God wants me to do. You know, I, I don't know. You know I, I can imagine in, the, in Mary's eyes, when she's found out she's pregnant through the Holy Spirit, who knows what went through, through her mind? Initially, you know, maybe she's thinking, I'm going to be so ashamed in my community. Maybe it's good to have an abortion. I don't know. But she didn't. 
She was willing to face the shame through her obedience to God. Another thing is, I, I look at the sign of a virgin giving birth. It's a reminder of what happened in the Old Testament with the King Ahaz. And what happened is, it's a reminder that when he faced difficulty, he was tempted to panic. In fact, he did panic. And perhaps when we're, fa- we're facing difficult situations, maybe we're tempted to panic rather than putting our trust in God. When you think of the word Emmanuel, think of, of that situation in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. Rather than being afraid, fearing, panicking, put your trust in God. I like this, this psalm where it says, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praises to my God as long as I live. And this is the verse I like. Do not push your, put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. God ultimately is the one that saves us. The Lord saves, as Jesus' name reminds us of. It's By putting your trust in another human being, um, you may be making the same mistake that King Ahaz did. The Lord is there to save us. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you sent your son to save us from our sin. We thank you that Mary was obedient to you and was willing to face the shame of the community around him, around her. The shame of people that didn't understand what she was doing. Father, I pray that in such situations we would obey you, not be afraid of what others are going to think of us and how we spend our time, how we spend our money, who we spend time with, what we do, but that we would obey you in spite of the shame that we might face. And that we might not be tempted when we have difficult situations to, to, to panic, to try to take matters into our own hands. But we would put our hope and trust in you to deliver us from the difficult things that we face. We thank you for sending Jesus as the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And we look forward to the wedding banquet. We look forward to being the bride of Christ, waiting for our groom, Jesus, to bring us back to his Father's house, our Father's house. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.